doesn't say Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Cincinnati. Uh, my name's Paul Hirons and uh, if you're a regular listener you'll know that Nathan, my usual partner in crime, is on his honeymoon in Japan. So uh, for this episode, the final of our three pre-draft specials, uh, if you remember we had our very own Bengals UK uh, draft panel a few weeks ago recorded in Sheffield. Uh, last week we had the brilliant Dave Lapham as a guest and uh, today we have something uh, equally as special for you um, but I'm on my, I'm not in the sewing room this week um, uh, it's Easter weekend, the sun is shining I'm back at my parents house in the Midlands my mom is, is merrily making a, a family Easter meal downstairs in the kitchen so you might hear some clanking a little bit during this uh, during this episode the dog is splayed contentedly on the carpet somewhere my dad is watching the football so it's a picture perfect scene here in the Hirons household and I'm recording this in my uh, well what used to be my teenage bedroom so that's slightly weird Um, now obviously we are a week well less than a week to go um, until the 2019 NFL draft uh, I hope that we've given you a bit of insight and a bit of uh, idea about where the Bengals can go. But today we're going to really deep dive into what's out there, who's out there, what the Bengals might do, what they should do, perhaps. Um, but first, obviously we had some news last week, some very big news when it comes to uh, Bengals fans in the UK. Um, the schedules were released and we finally found out uh, where the Bengals were going to play their game against the Rams in London and it is Wembley which is fantastic I think for everyone because even though going to the new White Hart Lane would be a lot of fun I think uh, in terms of getting hold of tickets uh, Wembley has a significantly larger capacity so uh, we're delighted that it's Wembley and uh, we're delighted uh, that hopefully, well actually, might be the Admiralty again or it could be the Cutting House, the other uh, Fuller's pub where the uh, where the teams tend to kind of stake themselves out for the weekend but we can't, if it is the Admiralty, we can't wait to get back we're super excited, it's Sunday, the October the 27th and uh, 5 o'clock kickoff I think so the countdown starts now, so do stay tuned to our social media channels um, which is, uh, as you probably know by now, on Twitter at today underscore UK and Facebook uh, Bengals UK for news about meetups, for news about where to go, what to do. We'll be producing another brochure uh, again, telling our, um, or at least recommending to our US friends how best to uh, enjoy London, what to do, where to stay, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so really the build-up starts now, but yes, it's the draft next week. Another key uh, date in the NFL calendar. Uh, the talking uh, is going to stop finally. We're going to actually see where the Bengals are going to go under this new coaching team. It's all very exciting. As I mentioned earlier, we've got uh, a special guest. So yes, I'm very uh, excited and delighted and all those adjectives uh, to welcome in once again uh, our good friend Joe Goodbury. And Joe in the past year has begun writing for The Athletic and you may know him, you probably do know him 
from Twitter at Joe Goodbury, and also the fantastic uh, Locked On Bengals podcast. Um, Joe, are you there? I'm here, and thanks for having me again. Well, it's a pleasure because I mean, and I say I'm delighted because you're you're. We've just been speaking off air. Your workload has dramatically increased somewhat in the past year, and we've known yeah. each other for a while now. And you've been good enough to kind of come on and. Uh, and go through some of the prospects with us for the past three or four years. So, yeah, it's great that you were able to find a, a small window in your family life and also your work life to, to come and speak to us again. So I do appreciate it. Well, I want to come on. I want to come talk to you guys. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time. We've, we've, we've done it for, and you say three or four years. I was thinking five before I came <laughs> right. on here, you know, and time flies. And, yeah, yeah. so I, I like doing this. This is a, a fun part, and it helps me prep, too. So while you think I, I'm lending my time, you're also lending me time to organize my thoughts and get ready for draft week. Well, there you go. It's a, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. I like the sound of that. Um, um now, obviously, there's a big decision for you to make next week. Are you going to be watching the draft live or are you going to be going out and seeing Avengers Endgame? Is that the big decision next week for you? Yeah, and I had to kind of put it all together. I want to see it on first night. I don't because here's the thing. If you if you really <laughs> want to go see Avengers and not be spoiled, you should see it as fast as possible. Right. right and yeah. I can't stay off social media that weekend because it's <laughs> draft weekend. And so right. here's what what we're doing my wife's taking the kids to the grandparents mm -hmm. i'm going to watch the draft and we're going to record on the lockdown podcast and give you know instant reactions as we're doing as the pick comes in we'll talk about it and then i'm i'm signing off and i'm going to see the movie i'm going to miss the last probably 10 picks or so but you know what? it's the first round as long as they don't trade back into it i shouldn't miss anything Bengals related i'll just catch up after yeah and you can as you say it's like you know the, the the movie is an event you want to see it live straight away right but the draft yeah. can always be recorded and watched later on i guess so um but let's talk about the draft um uh, we can probably have a separate uh conversation about endgame off I'm air sure. <laughs> but um i i find this draft this year's draft fascinating even more so for a couple of different reasons one we have a new coaching staff completely new coaching staff pretty much not necessarily a new regime in the front office, but a, a completely new coaching staff. So I'm fascinated to see what influence uh, Zach and his team have over Duke and vice versa and how they're going to work together. Because I guess in, in previous years with Marvin, you could maybe see some trends in the draft and kind of maybe perhaps yeah. guess. But this, this year, it's even more difficult to guess. And secondly, at 11... The Bengals are in position, if they stay at 11, obviously, to get a really good player. But it's just a case that they could go in so many different directions, right? Um, yeah. And I'm not quite sure where to start this chat, actually, because they could go in so many different uh, directions. What's your feel at this moment, less than a week to go before the draft? Or, you know, What's your feeling, gut feeling at the moment? I feel like they're going to let the board fall to them and this is not the case every year and you know this around about two weeks before the draft we start to get a really good idea and I mean everyone there may be a month ahead there's some people that have you know an idea but the general consensus of the world the draft world pretty much knows what the Bengals are going to do hmm. more than most teams about two weeks ahead and uh, this week is I mean this year is a little different I think the information has been slower to trickle out I think it's been a little bit more difficult to get information from people inside that building. So I wonder if it, 
you know, brand new coaching staff. You, you don't have to trust with the media out there. So you're not letting things leak out as much. But here's how I think they're going to approach it. And this is this is different. Like, because if we think last year is a great example and not the only example, but they pretty much plugged every hole they could in free agency and left one hole. And it was center. Right. And we're going to take a center at 21. We like Frank Reg now. We like Billy Price. They were going to take Reg now, but they were more than happy to take Price also. And whoever's there, we're going to take them. And the whole world knew it. Mm-hmm. And what happens at 21? They take their center. They fill it. They feel, they feel they have all 22 positions filled. And they're going to go ahead and start the season. Um, and that's a fine way to approach it as long as you're marrying value with the player. And, and, and you're clear-headed and you can make the right choice, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I think there's some years where they do this, and it hasn't directly worked out. And I think John Ross is also a year where they said, okay, we are going to sign Brandon LaFell, we have Tyler Boyd, but you know what? We really need that speed guy. And we like the receivers in this group. And if you remember, they had contact with Mike Williams and Corey Davis that mm-hmm. year. But you could tell they were really into John Ross. And while they were like, yeah, you heard reports of, yeah, they like Jonathan Allen and O.J. Howard and all, and Robert, uh, Reuben Foster, all guys that went you know, 10 to 15 picks later. Ultimately, you felt like they would take John Ross. At least I did. And I think we talked about it on here. Mm-hmm. And so it came to it. They make the pick and they're more than happy to do it. And they move on. I tell you a year where they tried to make a pick, and it was the year before, is when they wanted to draft a receiver, and everyone knew it. The year before, 2016, they they left receiver as, as the open spot, and what happened? A run of receivers went right before the Bengals picked. Teams traded up in front of the Bengals. Remember, the Redskins yeah, leaped yeah. the Bengals and took Josh Doxson. It worked out best for them, because who'd they get? All the receivers were gone. They said, all right, well, who's best on our board? William Jackson. All right, mm-hmm. let's take him. And yeah, you may not need him for a year, but... That works out in the end best. And I think we're in that situation again this year. While I do believe they left linebacker open and it would make perfect sense to take a linebacker with the 11th pick, I think they're more open to the board this year and letting it fall, And whether that's a defensive end or an offensive tackle. And you're not sure how much he plays as a rookie, but it makes your team better in the long run. I think that could definitely happen. And I think that's what they, like you said, they've kind of done that this year, haven't they? They've they've kind of filled spots on the offensive line. John Miller looks like a solid signing. Bobby Howard, uh, anyway, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of they've signed Kerry Wynn for the defensive line because Michael Johnson probably won't be coming back, so that makes sense. And the Giants fans seem to be mourning the loss of Kerry Wynn as a really solid, good, all-round kind of player. Um you know they signed B.W. Webb and re-signed Arquez Denard in a yeah. in a decent-looking deal. Uh, they re-signed Preston Brown, but still, to me, the 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 big question mark is linebacker. And you mentioned that, and a lot of people have been talking about linebacker because the play for the past couple of years and going right back through Marvin's era, which is weird because Marvin was a linebacker yeah. and he was like an all-world defensive coach. They criminally underinvested in that position. Um, so quite rightly, people are looking at the linebacker position and they're talking about the two Devins. Um, what's your what's your take on the two Devins? And, 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 you know, I think the general consensus is that Devin White is going to go quite early in the draft, much higher than he was previously thought because of that yeah. incredible combine performance and his measurables. Uh, but 
Devin Bush. And the same for Bush, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, who else had a fantastic combine? Um, what's your take on those guys? Are you high on those guys as much as a lot of Bengals fans? I mean, are, are Bengals fans kind of, again, just seeing a need at linebacker and just kind of plucking those two guys or, or kind of, you know, focusing on those two guys too much, do you think? No, I don't think we are. I think both, first of all, both are worthy of the 11th pick as a player, as a prospect. They're clean. The tape is good. And here's the thing. You want to make a good bet, right? You don't want to take a guy that, yeah, I like him on tape where he's got size or he's got athleticism, but he's missing this factor, whether it's production or he's missing this factor. He's been injured uh, far too often yeah. or he's missing this factor where he's got short arms or he doesn't have prototypical height, whatever the case may be. Uh, that's not an issue with these guys. If anything, Devin Bush is maybe an inch shorter than you would like him to be at 5'11", and the Bengals really have never drafted a linebacker under six feet, so they'd have to be comfortable with it. But besides that, and that shouldn't you know, limit a linebacker, honestly, yeah. uh, besides that, both guys are very clean, very high upside, very productive, very athletic. It's They're exactly what you want if you need a linebacker. And I think they're getting pushed up the boards a little bit, because value should come into play here. And the off-the-ball linebacker in today's NFL is one of the least valuable positions in, in the league. And you look mm -hmm. at the teams that make it to the Final Four in, in in the playoffs, and none of them really have a stud linebacker. It's just a bunch of guys out there that are athletic and play their role. And I do think the Bengals, the linebackers on the roster, Nick Vigil, maybe even Jordan Evans, Malik Jefferson, who they just drafted, right, could yeah. play much better than they did. And a lot of it is the coaching and the scheme that they were under. And, and I think because Marvin was a linebacker guy, he put too much on their plate and had them do way too much. Hmm. And because of it, they got exposed far too often and they couldn't handle it. Without having a superstar in Vontaze Perfect out there, you saw how bad this linebacker unit looked. Right. They just couldn't pick up the slack. So I wonder if inside that building they believe they can get better play out of the same guys, and that means they don't have to force the pick. But here's the thing, and now I'm coming back around to where I was. I think the linebackers in this draft are getting pushed up the draft because the second group of linebacker prospect is non-existent this right. year. Right. There isn't a guy here. There may not be a linebacker drafted until the end of the second round after those two. And because of it, so if you're not taking a guy at 11, you're probably coming back into the third round where you've drafted Nick Vigil, P.J. Dawson, Malik mm -hmm. Jefferson to, let's say, the best guy out of there is Vigil so far. Right, and yeah. that's, we're we're kind of trying to replace him if we can. So uh, you look at it and say, well, if they don't take that linebacker, Bush or White, at 11, I don't know if they're going to fix that position this year other than hoping to roll that same dice and get, get better results. But to speak specifically on White and Bush really quick, uh, I like White just a little bit better, and it's only because when trying to assess risk with, with the prospects, White has a better production score. He was much more productive in college than Devin Bush was. But when you watch him on tape, I actually have a little bit higher tape grade on Devin Bush, and it's because I think he reads his keys a little bit better. He's a little bit more aggressive. Uh, he, he understands what he's doing, and he, when he comes with power and, and when he hits, it's it's aggressive and mean, and it kind of has some perfect with him. But under control perfect uh Devin White on the other hand is more of a dog chasing a car he's kind of wild he doesn't know what he's going to do when he actually catches the car but he does catch the car and because right. he's he's a freak and he's only been playing linebacker for three years I believe so he's got some development to go but I think if he hits that development you're looking at a guy that is has the formula in him to be a 
difference-making top five linebacker in the NFL, like build your defense around completely. And, and Bush could be that too and should be that too. Uh, I just have one slightly ahead of the other, and I think both – are definitely worthy. I just did a podcast last night with a bunch of really good draft guys. Josh Norris, Ben Fennell of NFL.com, um, uh, Dane Brugler, and Ted Wynn. And none of them put Devin White in their top 10, but uh, four out of four of us had Devin Bush in the top 10. So there is not a consensus on who's the top guy. I think if you end up with either one of them, Bengals fans should be happy. Um, and that's interesting because I saw Dane Brugler's seven round mock today, and he. Um, he... Devin White to the Bengals at 11 which I think a lot of people would be very happy about I think um, yeah. any any concerns with the the knocks on White's tackling angles he takes um, yeah. any any concerns over Bush's shorter arms and say slightly shorter stature any, any concerns there do you think yeah there is there's concerns with both of those guys uh, the, sh- the short the height for Bush gets him in trouble when big those big linemen climb up to the second level right and they're, mm-hmm. they're going to block him he gets engulfed a little and you can see he has to guess and he doesn't really have the, the vision to maintain it on the ball carrier or the ball and he gets him in trouble when you look at bringing up like pff's draft guy pro football focus Devin Bush's run stop percentage was only 6.8 percent of his defensive snaps that was 120th out of uh draft eligible linebacker so we see the flashy plays but on a consistent basis he gets washed out a little bit too much in my opinion and tackling efficiency him versus white white misses a tackle one every 9.1 tackles but bush misses a tackle every 7.9 so it's close but the difference of being 70th or 98th in this class so both missed tackles white's a little bit more wild in getting there but Bush, because of his shorter arms and, and his stature and the way he hits, I think sometimes when you hit so hard, that guy bounces off you, you right, bounce right. off him, and you got those short, shorter arms and you're you're missing. So I think both guys, in, in terms of uh, having issues, is fair. And they're not complete prospects in terms of, yeah, I think Roquan Smith is better. I think Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley, guys that went 10 and higher were better prospects. I just, like I said, I think the second – phase of these linebackers in this draft are really pushing these guys up and teams want those athletic freak linebackers that will defend the run and to be honest being athletic freaks the way these two are they're worse off in coverage in their college careers they haven't been asked to do it if you watch Devin Bush they say no you know don't flip your hips and go down the middle of the field rush the passer you're a real good blitzer Uh, for Devin White it's more of play underneath zone and he does actually he gets more responsibility than Bush does White White is asked to actually move around a little bit, but neither are carrying the guy out the middle of the seam. I think both would be weak side linebackers to start in the NFL because of what they did in college. But that brings a a kind of a conundrum, right? Because the Bengals don't just need athleticism. They need some linebackers that can cover. Yeah, right, yeah. And well, and tackle as well. That's always been sure. also yeah. been a problem recently. Um, but you mentioned the second level, and I think, as I say, most people... I've heard of the Devons, and they want one of them, I think, at 11. A large proportion of Bengals fans out there want one of the Devons at 11. But you mentioned there is a drop-off, so uh, let's talk about that second level real quick. People like Matt Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, they've showed interest in Tavon Coney. Um, people like TJ Evans, and, and also Blake Cashman as well. They've also shown interest in Sione Takitaki as well. So... Yeah. Uh, who have you got your eye on on that second level for kind of maybe a more sort of developmental player? Yeah, uh, while I speak highly of White and Bush, it was 
it was thought of for a while that Mac Wilson was the definite next guy and that he was uh, maybe at times even higher than Devin Bush before the combine because we thought Mac Wilson out of Alabama would be the athlete, would be the guy in coverage. He came to Alabama as more of an athlete and ter- they turned him into a linebacker. And that sounds great. You play at Alabama, you were an athlete, let's go. Uh, but as the process went on and you watch his tape, you go, Okay, it's he's oh he's good, but he he's not fantastic. He's got some development to go. And then the draft process is important in assessing value on these players. And he goes to the combine in his pro day and he comes out as just a barely average athlete. And that's you know, that's not what we wanted to see. He ends up coming under thresholds of what you typically want there. And you bring up his production analytics when you're watching them as a prospect, because I'm trying to do the analytics a little bit more because it seems like the league is too. Mm. And his, his production analytics are way below the, the threshold that you want and puts him in the 36th percentile. But when you think of Devin White and Devin Bush, White's in the 95th percentile. Devin Bush is in the 78th percentile. So right. Mac Wilson is not in the level of that Pro Bowl linebacker that typically has the production in college. So it, PFF wasn't very high on him. He t- he ends up being 26th in my linebacker rankings. And wow. that, that means I don't want him. I'd rather somebody else take the risk. If the Bengals do draft him, fine. I'll hope for the best. I'll hope that the tape shows up more than the other issues. But at the same time, I'd rather the Steelers take him and then let them take that bet. And that's right. kind of how my rankings reflect that. Uh, but you know what? I've been doing a project, and it should come out very soon, uh, where I'm looking at the Bengals' draft history. I keep their data since 2003. And the linebacker that matches up perfectly with what they normally draft is Mac Wilson. So right. uh, okay. it will be interesting to see how that plays out. But my next tier of guys, and the other guy that matches up perfectly is Sione Takitaki out of BYU. Mm. And Takitaki is like the opposite. They're, they're almost the same size. Uh, Takitaki ran a 4.63, which is which is fairly good enough. But his, his relative athletic score puts him in the 90th percentile. Uh, his production was, was good, also in the 90th percentile. So like he's the opposite guy coming from a smaller school. Uh, but... He's the prospect I'd much rather take a take a stab at, and he's probably going to go in the third or fourth round. My next tier is Ben Burkirvan out of Washington, mm-hmm. Jermaine Pratt, NC State, and then Blake Cashman out of Wisconsin. All these guys have something some in common. They were productive. They were athletic. Their tape is good. Uh, the two are different. Ben Burkirvan and Cashman are more of the same. They're more of the athlete, run around a blocker, and make the tackle, wrap up type of guys. Where Jermaine Pratt is a downhill run stuffer, hit you hard. I think he's a middle linebacker all the way while the other guys are weak side linebackers. Pratt mm-hmm. needs some work and coverage and he didn't do his like three cone and shuttle drills. So that pretty much tells you he doesn't move really well. But when you watch him on tape, he, there are some times it's a little bit stiffer. But as a middle linebacker, that's typically okay or at least the area you can be acceptable. I think these guys still go in the third, fourth range even. And man, it just tells you the gap between these linebackers this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so um, we've spoken about linebackers and the fact that there is the huge drop-off between White and Bush and then down to people like Matt Wilson and, and, and Jermaine Pratt and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Where else are the Bengals looking? And if you uh, 11, because I, I think uh, from what you can see in, in visits and, you know, kind of player trackers and all the rest of it, they seem to be interested in, in pass rushers on the defensive line. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, look, we've got Carlos Dunlap. Carl Lawson's coming back from his ACL this year. Um, 
Gino Atkins is a perennial pro bowler. Why do we need... That's not a need. Why do we need defensive linemen? Um, what do you say to those people? I would say defensive line is definite need. And I think even after linebacker, the most... The area where a rookie can make the biggest impact is on interior defensive line. And yes, they've invested there. I, we still love Geno Atkins. Andrew Billings took a leap in your in your two or three, three. Yeah, because he missed that year. Uh, and I like Ryan Glasgow when he's healthy. So if he mm. gets back, you, you should be good at defensive tackle. But here's the thing you're forgetting is in your nickel defense. And nickel is when you have five defensive backs and you've got a pass rushing defensive line out there. And that's most of the game now. That Bengals yeah, absolutely. Route there is like Huge percentage 60, of the game, isn't it? Yeah, 64%, 65% of the game. That's your that's your defense you need to build first. Well, let's think about that defensive line right now. When healthy, it is Carl Lawson on the right edge. It's it's Carlos Dunlap on the left edge, right? You got Geno Atkins somewhere in the middle, and he's going to rush from inside. Who is that other guy? Who's that fourth guy right now? And maybe it's Sam Hubbard, but he wasn't good there last year. Maybe it's Jordan Willis, but he hasn't been good in two years. You would like either of those guys to take the next step and be able to kick inside and be that pass rusher. But as of right now, they haven't shown they can do it. So I would say they signed Kerry Wynn to do that. That's what he did in, in New York. But... Mm. Wynn is not a fantastic, you know, upgrade there. He's just a body, honestly, someone that can do it and has had some success. Yeah. So you at least now, if you had to line up and play football today, you would say, okay, Kerry Wynn, you go out there and you can do it because we know you can. But the truth is, you would probably like to upgrade that position if possible. It's not Billings. He's not an. He's not that type of pass rusher. He's he's a nose tackle type. He's going to come off the field. So as of right now, let's say they draft a Rashawn Gary from from um, from Michigan. That's that's where he plays. Now you have Rashawn Gary, Carl Lawson, Car- Carlos Dunlap, and Geno Atkins. And I tell you what, sounds pretty scary. It sounds really good. So I can see why they would look at this and say, yep, we want a defensive lineman with that top pick. If it's Montez Sweat, then maybe Carl uh, Carlos Dunlap kicks inside and rushes. Maybe you get more dynamic and more hybrid in that front seven and you let uh, uh montez sweat stand up a little bit you, they brought in josh allen from kentucky and i don't think he'll be there but i've seen a mock today where he, he ends up going like number nine so it, maybe he gets in that range maybe you let him stand up and carl lawson stand up i just think they they look at it and say our defensive line is not complete well it's a strength of the team we could potentially turn it into the strength of the roster and something mm-hmm. we can build on and when i think of it that way i get behind it and say Yep, that's not so bad. Drafting defensive linemen with a premium pick, something they have not done since David Pollock, and he's they kind of right, tried yeah, to make yeah. him a linebacker. Uh, they really haven't invested high. They've been lucky to get Dunlap and Michael Johnson and Geno Atkins and guys that have produced being mid-round picks, uh, but really they've never injected that talent. And this would be the highest drafted. If they draft defense at 11, it would be the highest drafted defender on the roster. This would be your centerpiece. This would be the guy. So I don't think we have to think of scheme fit here. I think you fit the scheme to this guy because he's going to be the future of the defense. So if I said to you, Ed Oliver, for instance, was at number 11, what are you going to do? Would you be running up to the stand to sell the hands Celebrate. Celebrate. Oh, man. We all get drunk. We have a good time. (laughs) If it's Ed Oliver. And I think, you know, it's kind of funny because everyone had Oliver coming into the college era everyone's like Oliver probably a top two pick he's a freak he's great if he takes another step he he's Aaron Donald right hmm. and he they Houston played him at nose tackle and he didn't get to have the flashy plays he should have for the guy that's that of his caliber and I think people started to say well he's undersized he didn't make a lot of big plays for a, a program like Houston that probably should have you know he should have been featured predominantly all the time but 
So the draft process comes in, and everyone goes, eh, maybe he's going to be there between 10 and 20. And Bengals fans, and me included, I, I tried to drive that bus of if he's there, take him, sprint to the podium, he would be another Geno Atkins, and could you imagine that inside? Mm-hmm. The way I just laid out the defensive line, oh, put yeah. two Geno Atkins inside. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, now he tests, he goes through the process, and everyone goes, yeah, he's probably going top five. And yeah. so we're back to where we were in the beginning, and that kind of happens during yeah. the draft process. But if he's there, that would be fun. I mean, people like Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, too high for 11, Tillery probably. Um well, Dexter Lawrence is a nose tackle, so I don't think the value's there. Even though we see like guys like Vita Vea last year go right, that yeah, high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, I think, is better than Vita Vea, but he's not going to go there. I think he's a second rounder, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals did pull the trigger. I just don't think the value of nose tackle is really worth it. And I think Billings is good enough to keep that 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 spot mm. for now and not be immediately replaced. But Christian Wilkins, Jerry Tillery, both really good. Wilkins is older of the of of these prospects he's 23 and a half he'll be 24 during the year that's typically not good it means he was he's beaten up on 19 year old rookies in college and and you know that happens but you have to factor that into your evaluation he was well Quinton Williams who's going to go from Alabama Quinton Williams defensive tackle is going to go top three he was number one in run stop percentage he was number one in pass rush productivity of all interior defensive linemen in college football Christian Wilkins was two in both so Mm. he was very very productive he just doesn't have a dominant trait to him he was his production score puts him in the 60th percentile. His uh, his athleticism is just okay. He's an above average, too good athlete. He's just a little bit older, and you, you kind of say, well, yeah, I, I guess that pick makes sense, and it'll work, and it'll fill out that defensive line. It's like d- hitting a a double while you're down by two runs. So it scores you one run, and I'm talking baseball here, yeah, so I don't know if I'm any of you guys. <laughs> but <laughs> So you're down two, and you score one run. So it it's good. It gets you on the right direction, but it didn't win you the game if you, no. pack, if you pick him. So I'd be okay with it. Tillery is the interesting guy out of Notre Dame because he's 6'6 and 305. And typically, used to like those defensive tackles that were really tall, and then everyone figured out, that's kind of too tall, and these guys are losing all leverage, and they're, they're not working out. And the Geno Atkins, the 6'1", 6'2", mm. tackle is where you want to be. But then Tillery, it doesn't affect him as much. And he's a freak athlete, natural mover, incredibly smart. And I should have said that with Wilkins, too. Incredibly smart, team leader, exactly mm. who you want in the locker room. Uh, Tillery, on the other hand, is so smart. He's, like, into draft stock – I mean, into the stock market as much as he is his, his football career. So, right. Okay. Uh, that kind of concerns teams for some reason. I, I think it's cool, but uh, you know how the NFL gets. Yeah. They get weird. But he may be there closer to, to 42 pick rather than 11. Okay. But at the same time, he's a really good prospect. Uh, I've got my eye on a bit lower down, Kalen Saunders and Dalen mm. Mack and a few of those guys. We so that the, the draft seems to be full of really decent defensive linemen, right? So It is. Um, it, it's very strong. It's ridiculously strong. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Are you ready for this, Joe? I think we okay. need to, we need to talk about the most contentious position on this team, the most okay. contentious uh, talking point. Uh, Tight end, <laughs> <laughs> slot receiver. Right. Oh, Alex Erickson, all the way. Come on now. Um, okay, so number eleven, uh, Andy Dalton's contract runs out in a year or so. Um, he still divides the fan base, I think. Um, my personal yeah. opinion on Dalton is that he's a he's a good above average quarterback, and he's had a really really solid career in Cincinnati. If you look at 
Pro Bowl appearances and uh, playoff appearances. You know, you compare that to, say, a Matt Stafford. You know, it's non-comparable, yeah. right? right. Um, and yet, I think everybody, if if they were kind of, you know, asked to tell the truth, I think we all know his shortcomings, right? Mm-hmm. So, I wasn't on board with drafting a quarterback this year, but having had a really deep think about it, I'm I'm kind of interested. When I say drafting a quarterback, I mean drafting a quarterback high. Um, what are the arguments for and against? Because, again, we've seen lots of... Dwayne Haskins talk. Uh, we've seen Daniel Jones mocked to the we Giants have. at six. He's risen all of a sudden. Uh, Kyler Murray seems to be, you know, the absolute consensus number one pick at the moment in lots of mocks. May or may not happen. Who knows? Um, where do you stand on a quarterback at 11? I kind of think for roster building purposes, for cap hit purposes, for, you know, kind of roster management and maintainment. And it also excitement within the fan base as well. I'm kind of on board yeah. with someone like a Haskins at eleven. What 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 are the arguments to and for and against that pick? Do you think? Well, the arguments I'll start with against is that you can probably win with Andy Dalton, and when I say win, I, I, you can get to the playoffs. I think it's to be seen that this whole team can play above what Marvin Lewis uh, kept them at. It kind of felt like you he kept them. Uh, at their worst self when they got to the primetime games and especially the playoffs. Right, so right. maybe a new coaching staff unlocks them a little bit, right? And I, I when I look at it and I, I hear Zach Taylor talk about running a Sean McVay, St. Louis Rams, or St. Louis, <laughs> L.A. Rams uh, <laughs> right. offense, I get excited because that should help Andy Dalton. And I look at his numbers, and this wasn't the case early in his career, but over the last five years, Dalton has been much better under center and alpha play action. So a Rams-heavy offense would be under center play action, controlling his reads, uh, uh, manufacturing space for the receivers, making easy wide-open throws. Dalton would have the, a career year in a Rams-type offense. Mm-hmm. But having said that, does that make him a different player? Does that make him a different guy, even though he's producing at like 2015, let's say? Uh, and I think I still come to the same conclusion of, yeah, he would still have limitations. Think of Jared Goff getting into the, the, the Super Bowl with the Patriots, and there were a lot of drives and a lot of plays where the scheme couldn't help him anymore. He had to make a throw. He had to make a play happen, and he failed to do so. And the Rams' the high-powered offense was held to pretty much nothing, and they got beat in a low-scoring game. I think at the end of the day, you still need that quarterback to be able to make that throw, make the play, and change the course of the game. And I'm not sure Andy Dalton consistently, and that's a key word with him, consistently can do that because over eight years we've seen seen flashes of brilliance and flashes of, well, head-scratching things. And no matter how you feel about Dalton, I think, you can come to the same conclusion of, well, there's two years left on his deal. He'll be 32 this year. Do you want to throw big money at him? And is that the best way for the Bengals franchise to get over the hump if they throw 23, $25 million at Andy Dalton in his latter part of his career? And I think everyone can come to, yeah, that's probably not the best idea. Because if you pay the number 11 pick, he's going to make about 4 to 5 to $6 million through the life of his contract per year. So the difference right now between Andy Dalton is about $10 million to that rookie guy. And if you extend Dalton, it can be almost $20 million between that rookie. And when people say, well, you got Bobby Hart in front of him, Andy Dalton's going to look bad. Well, 
that $10 million difference is going to pay for the next, you know, that upgrade from Bobby Hart. So Dalton's kind of got to survive it because they're paying him to. Or, or why aren't they paying a linebacker? Well, because you're paying your quarterback a little bit more. And, yeah, the Bengals aren't near the cap, but the Bengals operate under their own cap, as we've seen. So uh, they're, they, they're maxed out on what they feel they can pay other free agents. And part of that is because you have to pay a quarterback. And we see that around the league when teams have a rookie quarterback or and I don't mean rookie year I mean rookie deal quarterback you've got four years fifth yeah. year option when you have that you have the opportunity to load up the rest of that roster maximize your cap build an, a really aggressive and, a, and, and good team and go make a run at it we see it with the Rams last year we see it with the Seattle Seahawks when they had Russell Wilson so uh, this happens this is one of the key ways to take down those elite quarterbacks those New England Patriots uh, in the league is to have a better 52-man roster and even though you don't have the better quarterback right, so right. um that that is a great argument for doing it now you have to get to great okay we we should do it now who's in this draft that we really feel confident in because you can't just take any guy and hope he's he's the guy because that doesn't work as we've seen plenty of times you have like a 50 50 rate of getting an andy dalton in the first round and now andy dalton supporters would say well that's not worth it let's draft a tackle let's draft a linebacker let's keep supporting this guy well, everyone else would say, well, 50-50 is not that bad. That's actually a pretty good shot. In today's league, quarterback play has never been easier, actually. The production, the average quarterback rating is 92 in the league. You should expect your quarterback to play really, really well. Mm. And it's it's because the league, the the, the, the schemes, the, the rules have gotten really easy and, and, right, and supportive yeah. of the quarterback position. So chances are you will draft a guy and he'll be productive, at least at an Andy Dalton level. And when you think of that, you say, well, fine, you're going to get a productive guy more than likely. And you're going to get somebody that's going to cost potentially a third of what Andy Dalton makes. So let's look at the quarterback class again. Murray's gone. I don't know where Jones is going to go, but you've seen him mock to the, both of the Giants picks at 16 or 17, whatever that is, and sixth. And the Bengals did have contact with Daniel Jones out of Duke and at the combine. He was the first first meeting we even heard of in the news, right? right. Was that yeah, they yeah, met yeah. with Daniel Jones. And I, it kind of shocked everyone because when you watch him, and, and I got a chance to talk to him in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, and I think everyone comes away with, yeah, I don't know if he's good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he's being talked about this high. Right. But he kind of it kind of goes to NFL teams how they're kind of weird with it. They like stability. They like they like all the things Andy Dalton is right. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Jones has a lot of that. And uh, I could see why the Bengals would like him. But let's say he's not there. Let's say that's not the guy. And is it Drew Locke out of Missouri? And when I watch Drew Locke, he kind of has some Jake Cutler, Matt Stafford to him, where he's a gunslinger with a rocket arm that trusts his arm, and a play is never dead, which I love because I think we we kind of long for that at times with Andy Dalton. Instead of throwing away on, on third or fourth down, try and make something happen. Use your arm and fit it in there, right? Uh, you get that with Drew Locke, where he is just now nah, the play's not dead. I'm going to I'm going to put this team on my back and make a play happen. Now, a lot of times he messes up real bad, gloriously, actually. And right. uh, kind of almost you laugh at it because like, whoa, what are you doing out there? But sometimes he makes a play and you go, yeah, that's fun. I'd, yeah, right, I'd take right. that, I think, in a heartbeat. But uh, you wish his production scores were higher. He had a very low completion percentage uh, in terms of what you want for a franchise guy. And everything doesn't match up with him. Nine-inch hands is below the threshold, which means he's going to have a lot of fumbles. And it makes sense why he does when you watch him on tape after he's got his measurements. Uh, so I think the the Broncos could take Drew Locke at 10. I've seen Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com had Drew Locke going 30th, I want to say. Right. There's a wide range on Locke. Right, and right. 
I wonder how he would fit in the scheme if the Bengals would say, well, we're going to control our quarterback, and then we'll let Locke make those plays that Jared Goff couldn't in the Super Bowl, right? Mm. So I could see that marriage and be like, okay, that, that intrigues me a little bit. But he is a risky pick and a bad bet in this draft. Uh, they all are because they all have warts and flaws in terms of the evaluation and trying to paint the entire picture. Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins, our last two. Murray's going to go. Let's not talk about too, uh, him too much. But if he was there, that'd be exciting. And like you said, would inject some life, I think, not only in the fan base, but the franchise, which mm. I think is something we all can see from the outside they need a little bit. And I think that was part of leaving Lewis and going on to Taylor. Mm. But Dwayne Haskins, let's say Haskins is there, also a one-year starter like Kyler Murray. There are not a lot of one-year starters in, in the NFL from co- the college ranks. Now it's becoming more common, but still the history and the data is not there. You, it's, you have basically uh, Cam Newton, who transferred from junior college and then played one year at, at Auburn. And you have Mitch Trubisky, which I don't know if he's good or not yet. Mm. You're getting production out of Mitch Trubisky, which I think we'd all take. That's part of the thing I, I said. But I don't know if he's actually good. Uh, you, there's guys like Mark, uh, uh, Mark Sanchez and really a bunch. No one that really ever emerged out of that group of one-year college starters. So it's a very risky thing right off the bat to take one of these guys. But when you watch Haskins and his production level – was phenomenal. He was in the Heisman running, lost to Kyler Murray. Uh, yeah. But it, 50 touchdowns, completion percentage in the 70s, one-year starter, so they kind of, the first six to eight games or so at Ohio State, they didn't know what to do with each other. Offensive coordinator, quarterback. We've seen when there's been disconnect between that with Andy sure, Dalton sure. And, and like a Ken Zambezi. But when they get connected eventually, uh, Hugh Jackson and Andy Dalton, and that's what it turned into the final four to six games with with Haskins and you were like wow this is magic mm. they are they are in sync they are doing whatever they want to do and it's not that Haskins makes a lot of plays himself he runs the offense to perfection and that is a, a, a trait I think a lot of NFL teams should like it seems for some reason he's sliding a little bit uh, but I think when you watch him yeah outside of structure when things break down when he has to move from his original launch point the wheels start to fall off a little bit with Haskins. He's not a great athlete. He's not a great mover. He has a strong arm, but I don't think he places the ball or he's aggressive enough deep in the deep range to really be a difference maker throwing it. Not yet. He's 21. He'll be 22 very soon. One-year starter. So you got to hope. Here's the two things, all right? One one side says one-year starter. Um, it's risky because we, we don't know. But on the other side, it says, well, one-year starter and the way he developed throughout the year there's probably a lot of untapped potential. He could end up being really, really good. His production scores are that of an all-pro type guy coming out. So here's what I say. You may be drafting him a year early. If he would have gone back to Ohio State, had the same exact year again or similar, he'd be a top-five pick, no doubt in my mind. Because when you're that productive in system, you're Phillip Rivers. You're Tom Brady. You're on mm. that spectrum. You're not on Patrick Mahomes' spectrum, right? Because Mahomes runs the system and does all this crazy stuff. Right, sure. right. I want that too, but the other side, the Drew Brees, those guys, those guys run their system to perfection and so well that you can't beat them, and they never have to go off script because they're so prepared and so good and mentally so sharp and quick. And I think I wonder, is Dwayne Haskins on that level? When you hear him speak and you hear him go through it, you go, 
yeah, he might be. He might be like those guys. And in that case, I can't knock him too bad for the, the things he can't do outside of structure because he's so good in it. And I think Phillip Rivers would be the high-end um, guy I would compare him to. The low-end would be Derek Carr. And I say Derek Carr because Derek has a lot of the same issues where he's not aggressive deep, he's not accurate deep, he doesn't do well outside the pocket, he doesn't do well when he's forced to move, and he doesn't do well with pressure. So, And I think Haskins showed that in one year, but I think there's a wide range on where he could develop. I just wonder if they do it. Mm-hmm. you got to have the guts to actually make this pick. you got to say, you know what? Yes, we like Andy Dalton. Andy, this is not, has nothing to do with you. This is the opportunity to draft a quarterback and be potentially something better in two years, in three years, whenever he hits his stride. And I, not a lot of teams have the guts to do it, and I definitely don't think the Bengals do <laughs> It's, it's not a shot at them. It's just the no, truth. No, no, I, don't I, think... I agree. When you look at the patterns of drafting and just the way they are in, in, in the conservativeness of of their moves and free everything, yeah. it's have the Bengals got the cojones to do that, you know, when the, when yeah. the time comes. Another advantage I think uh, Haskins has from being a one-year starter is there's just not that he sh- obviously shows extraordinarily high levels of natural instinctive talent, but um, someone like Zach Taylor and Callahan, two QB guys, are yeah. surely going to be salivating over the idea, the prospect of this guy who's only got one year uh, kind of tread on his tyres. They yep. He's very moldable and very coachable, and that's got to be appealing to two quarterback guys, right? And, and don't forget Alex Van Pelt, right? Oh, of course. I, I Andy Dalton, yeah. his first five, six weeks last year were really good. I, in fact, I think his first six weeks last year were the best we've ever seen I Andy agree, Dalton absolutely. play. I agree. And, because, and here's why. Breaking out of the pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Keeping his eyes up when things broke down. He was finding Tyler Boyd. I was I, I was stepping back while watching film. And you know me, I can be critical, right? And I, I'm watching and going, wow, look at this. I think Alex Van Pelt, and they talked about it in the offseason, working on him, disconnecting his upper half and lower half. Mm-hmm. So your lower half can be moving, running, fluid, while your upper half is still a thrower. And you could see it on film. Now, it may take more than just an offseason to really let it sink in because you could see as the pressure got to Dalton, as he started to lose some weapons and trust in the players around him, he reverted back to what he was. And that's very natural. That happens all the time when you see quarterbacks focusing on a specific area of their game. They will revert back. It takes a few years. But those are the same knocks a lot of people have on Dwayne Haskins, is that he needs that help and that coaching also. Mm. So a Van Pelt can also help with that while he's sitting the bench behind Andy Dalton, because that's the thing too, right? Some of these teams that need a quarterback may be looking at this like, well, we can't take Haskins because we want to sit him for a year. He's just too young. He's been a one-year starter. The Bengals have that opportunity. They should look at it like they have the chance to let this guy develop and sit. They have a luxury right now. They have an opportunity that not every team can afford to let this guy sit and watch and learn and behind Andy Dalton, which is sounds pretty good. And if he emerges from the other side as a better player, more complete guy, because he's got three quarterback guys in that room in the coaching staff with him, I like that idea. It's kind of what the Eagles did with mm-hmm. Carson Wentz. They brought in all quarterback people and said, go get your guy, and they traded up twice and were super aggressive. So complete opposite of what the Bengals, right? But they did bring in the quarterback guys and said, go get your guy. And Carson Wentz had, he needed to be reined in. He was a wild horse, and he needed to be to be taught what to do. And they did it, and they were able to, and they've got a lot of production out of Wentz. Now they got a lot out of Nick Foles, too, as we saw in their playoff yeah. run and Super Bowl yeah. championship. So I love the idea of surrounding them with quarterbacks. And if they are going to take a quarterback, Year one with a new coaching staff is typically when you see it around the league. 
because I, I just watched something really good and it was uh it was a podcast and it's on YouTube. I linked it on my Twitter account. I I talked about it a little bit, but the drafting of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and how they had Brett Favre. And now Andy Dalton's not Brett Favre. We know this, but Brett was a little bit older. And the Packers are on the clock at twenty four. And they had one guy with a first-round grade remaining on their board when they're on the clock. And it was Aaron Rodgers. And they had nobody else. And they're they're looking like, well, we don't want to draft a quarterback. We think Brett's going to play three more years at least. Right, yeah. But what do we do here? Do we just we, – we trust our board. We think Aaron Rodgers is a franchise quarterback. What do we do? And they said they called up Rodgers and said, just hold on real quick. We want to waste all 15 minutes on the clock as possible just in case somebody calls and wants to trade up, we want to get out of here as badly. We don't want to have to make this pick. And they had be- offensive coaches begging them, even defensive coaches, but offensive coaches begging them, don't make this pick. Don't take the quarterback. Uh, in, in today's NFL, or in the NFL, you don't have a long leash as a coach. They could be fired by the time they ever see Aaron Rodgers ever help them. They want a linebacker. Give me a, an offensive lineman. Give me a tight end. We can use that guy. We can make this team better. Rodgers doesn't make us better. They're begging, right? So it gives you an idea of, man, I think the Bengals coaches are probably doing the same thing the last few years, right? As they knew mm-hmm. the time with Marvin was ending. No, don't take Pat Mahomes. Don't take Deshaun Watson, even though they had a really, they had a high grade on Patrick Mahomes for based on all reports. Uh, you kind of look back and you say, man, it takes guts. It takes the fortitude to say, you know what? We have a high grade on this guy. We think he's good. We think he's going to be a franchise quarterback. You take them and you figure the rest out later. And maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. We see teams that need quarterbacks and it doesn't work. We see teams that, I don't need a quarterback. Here's Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott in the mid-rounds and it works. The point is you have to stay true to your board, be confident in your pick. And if that's Dwayne Haskins, then do it. Guess what? If you do it, you'll have a lot of fans excited. I think you'll energize even parts of the team that believe they could do more with a new quarterback. So I would get behind it. I think Haskins has flaws, and I think they're flaws that could really derail his game. But the excitement and opportunity to upgrade that position, uh, I'm on board with it. Uh, I'm talking to Joe Goodbury at Joe Goodbury. Uh, you will know him from the Locked On Bengals podcast, the daily podcast, and also his writing in The Athletic. Uh, Joe, we've been talking for about 45 minutes. Are you okay to stick around for another 10 minutes, maybe? I, I am. We haven't talked about offensive line yet, should we? I know. Um, I was just going to say, the other screaming need for me is um, offensive line. And, um, you know, 11, there, it might just be a sweet spot for, for a really good first-round offensive uh, lineman. You know, you're talking about Joanne Taylor. You might be talking about Jonah Williams. You might yeah. be talking about Andre Dillard. You might be talking Cody Ford, you know. Yeah. Maybe in round two, if you leave it, you've got Dalton Risner, you know. So there seems to be some decent, solid offensive linemen in this in this draft. Uh, what's your initial take on, on, the, on, the, on the class this year? Yeah, it actually is a really good offensive tackle class. Last year it wasn't. The guys were getting pushed up. I like Mike McGlinchey, but Colton Miller got pushed way high. He went from a second know, rounder right? To, to right to top. Did you see him back. when he played for the Raiders against us? Sam year. Hubbard beat him up. I know, right, <laughs> really that's, that's all you got to say about that. I think. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so that was that has not worked for them so far. But we don't want to get in that position, right? We no, don't. Right. That's the thing is they signed Bobby Hart, right? And it was right around when all these guys were weighing in at the combine. And when you look, a lot 
of these guys have some issues. Either they didn't test well enough uh, or didn't test at all. Juwan Taylor did not test. Uh, Cody Ford barely passed the threshold to be a tackle. He may be a guard. Uh, Andre Dillard, while he tested like a freak, he's got shorter arms at 30, 30, uh, three and a half inch arms. John Williams tested average athlete, shorter arms also a little bit longer than Dillard, but under 34. Dalton Reisner had the athleticism and the, and the measurements, and but many believe he is a guard also. So it makes it interesting that right mm-hmm. after the Bengals said, ah, you know what, let's sign Bobby Hart because we're just not sure one of those guys are going to step in and be better. And that seems crazy because Bobby Hart is – if I wouldn't be surprised if he had money on the other team, right? right. And um, so when you when you when you think of it that way, you say maybe they're not so high on this class. And I look and I, I went back the last five years and Pro Football Focus and tried to get some data on rookie offensive linemen. And to my surprise, if you spend a premium pick on a on a tackle and you plug them in as a starter as a rookie, you get about the production of a Bobby Hart gave you last year. And uh, that was interesting to me. That okay. Mm-hmm. That also makes sense of why they maybe they signed Bobby Hart. Now they didn't have to sign Hart; they could have signed a lot of guys. So this is not in defense of Hart. It's it's in defense of their decision making to go with a veteran and not leave that spot open to the number eleven pick. Now, having said that, I think Jonah Williams from Alabama is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, sure, he he doesn't have the size and, and athleticism that I want from a guy I'm spending a top twelve pick on, but I have no doubt in my mind he's going to be good. And he he may be a guard also. The, the thing with the Bengals and they used to have, and this would be something I'll keep an eye on. We should all. They used to have very strict arm length requirements for for their tackles. Right. And remember Leal Collins a few years ago, yeah, and he ended right. up falling right on draft night because you know some rumors. But they had Leal Collins as a guard, and this guy's six foot five. And <laughs> the problem is he had under thirty four inch arms. Right. And I went back and looked at their, their data, and yeah, they're usually picking guys with thirty four inch arms only at tackle. Mm. So when I go and then I say, oh, okay, well then who's left in this class? And that really leaves Jawan Taylor from Florida. Uh, Cody Ford just hit 34. Dalton Reisner hit 34. But I feel like those guys could be viewed as a guard still because the experience for Ford, he only played one year of tackle. And for Reisner, he really didn't have much competition. Even though Reisner, for me, grades out as my number one offensive lineman. And I, honestly, I think if he went top 15, I wouldn't be surprised. But you see the mocks, have him closer to 42. Mm. Now, ha- having said all that, the guy who interests me the most is Andre Dillard out of Washington State. Right. And he gets, when you watch him, they're a pass-happy offense. Really, he's pass-blocking the entire game, and that's what they do. And he has the most uh, dropbacks, pass protections. He has, he has like, five-step, seven-step drops where he protects. And that's when you're on the, an island as an offensive tackle. That's when it's you versus the other guy, and you've got no help. And he's got 900 of them in his career. I mean, the next guy's got, like, 450. So you have a lot of great tape for pass protection. A lot of people that come away that are sm- smarter than me in, in offensive line evaluation say, Dillard is the best pass protector in this draft. Right. And then he tests, like, a 98th percentile athlete. If you want to get Tyron Smith or Jason Peters, you have to draft an Andre Dillard. This is the mm-hmm. formula that, that spits those guys out. And to be honest, that sounds great. And if they make that pick, great. But I think he needs some development. Uh, there were times even at the Senior Bowl where he didn't look like a special player. Sure, he moves like one, but his hands are still a little bit late and slow. And he needs to get some power. 
And in the run game, he's a complete blank slate, in my opinion. So you have to see if he can even be good or or has the mentality to be that run blocker. But I think the Bengals offer a situation where he could develop and sit behind those two guys and with the injuries they had at tackle, at guard, and even at uh, the play of Bobby Hart at right tackle, even though he was completely durable to much of our detriment. He, um, <laughs> he could be replaced at some point if he continues to play that way, or maybe Cordy Glenn misses another four games like he right, always does, right. yeah, and right. D- Dillard would get his play time that way. So I wouldn't be mad with any of these picks. I think Juwan Taylor, if he had the testing, because he was hurt, hamstring, he did none of the testing. So for me, on tape, looks like a big mauling right tackle that can surprisingly move for a big guy that's 6'5", looked like he played at 330 with long arms, prototypical size. I just wish I had a complete... Uh, profile on him as a draft prospect because he didn't do the testing and because of it that hasn't shied the Bengals away before they did it with Billy Price uh John Ross didn't give him a complete workout Cedric Aboye they have done this plenty of times now that's varying degrees of success right because uh let's say those guys haven't worked out to the fullest extent because you want to have the testing to support Mm -hmm. that prospect as a complete you know risk or bet because that's what it is all of these guys they all have risk you have to assess how much risk is on them you have to assess is this a good bet to place and the best bets check every box and those guys turn into the best players typically or at least productive players and for me right now there's a few of these offensive linemen that don't check every box so it there'd be some uh, some risk involved if they make that pick so i think i think we've covered where they might go at 11 you know, we've got QB, we've got offensive line, we've got linebacker and defensive line. Um, just real quick, I mean, I think the the team has what I call sneaky needs, right? I I think, yeah. I think, for instance, they could draft a wide receiver, not necessarily yep. a slot guy, because we've got Erickson, we've got, you know, John Ross will no doubt be moved around the formation quite a bit. Um, we've also Tyler got Boyd, Tyler Boyd, who can play was originally drafted as a slot receiver, right? Yeah. Um, yep. I want someone, with with AJ's increasing injury record over the past couple of years, I want someone personally for the uh, who's an outside receiver, someone who's quick, big, good hands. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. Um, and we could sort of, there's hundreds of those receivers in this, this draft, right? Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. Uh, just give us a couple of names, Joe. Who have you got your eye on receiver-wise? Well, and it's funny because there may not be a first-round guy, and it there may be a couple guys that go drafted in the first round, but mm. in my opinion, uh, they've all got some issues to them. It's a weird class. It, they're all really young, very big, 6'2", at least, and 225 pounds. I mean, these guys are gigantic, and they all tested extremely well. So it makes it a more of a – these are all projection picks. I mean, the guy that we all thought, DK Metcalf, after the mm. combine – I mean, this guy looks like an absolute freak. He looks like Megatron, Kelvin Johnson. And (laughs) you watch him on tape, and he's had a lot of injuries, so the production is not there. And on tape, he's okay. He he scares DBs because he looks like a monster coming at you. But uh, honestly, he's got some a a lot of development in his game to go. So DK Metcalf may go top twenty, top twenty-five, even top thirty. I don't think he he falls in that for me. Comes around at number seven on my board. Uh, But here's I'll just run off some of the names. And a lot of these guys that I'm going to name. They may be the best in my opinion, but they may not go into the second or third round. No, right, right. And that's Nikhil Harry, J.J. Uh, Arcega, Whiteside, A.J. Brown, uh, Hakeem Butler, Andy Isabella, who is a smaller, fast guy that I yeah. don't know if he fits the mold they normally take. One guy they had contact with is the next guy on my list is Debo Samuel, yes, who's uh, 5'11", 214 out of South Carolina. Now, he played the slot, so he's not really what you want, but when I think of the Zach Taylor in a Rams offense – 
everyone was in the slot. All three of the receivers yeah, were basically true. slot guys. Yeah. They, they'll bunch them up close to the line, make the corners have to back off in that scenario. They'll move, put them in motion, stack them up behind each other so you get a free release. I wonder if they're looking at more slot guys because And, and of I it. guess but, that big outside guy is actually quite, maybe perhaps even a, an outmoded, outdated kind of approach to it. Like you said, you know, you had... Uh, Taylor had the likes of Cooper Cup and yeah. uh, uh, you know those guys in in LA last yeah, year. Yeah, Brandon and, Cooks and yeah, Robert abs- Woods, all those slot guys. Yeah, so yeah. it's all about using them creatively rather yeah. than and creating mismatches. Easy for me to say mismatches rather right. than have it lining these guys up. He's a big guy, so he's got to go on the outside. He's a and that's what we saw a little bit with AJ, right? They were trying to move him exactly. a little bit around formation to create those mismatches. And, and it helped them a lot. The Bengals mm. throwing to their slot guys last year, wildly different than throwing to their boundary receivers. It's one of the reasons why when we looked at the boundary guys that played mostly on the boundary was John Ross and it was Cody Core, Josh Malone, and, and even when they had Alex Erickson out there and Auden Tate, those guys, no production out there, right? Mm. But in the slot. It, it, when 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 Green was moving in the slot, most of his touchdowns came from there. Tyler Boyd was fantastic in the slot. Their tight ends when they had, when they had Eifert was really good, and, and they used him as a slot receiver. They were much better throwing to their slot guys. And I think does that mean they need more talent on the boundary? Probably. Does it mean that they need to find ways to get to that, the ball to those boundary guys? Yes, it does. Uh, so when I look at it, though, also to your point, and the top guys: Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, Hakeem Butler. All played in the slot in college, and they're mm. six five, six two, six foot, all two twenty five right, right. plus. The slot is where you create mismatches in the league. So you're going to watch these guys and say, "Yeah, he's a number one receiver." Okay, get him into the slot. Let me take advantage of that. And the Bengals doing that with Green last year was very exciting. I hope they continue doing that. Uh, so I don't know if getting a big outside guy is what you want to do. I think you what you definitely don't want to do is say we're not going to take this guy who only played in the slot. And there was a bunch of those guys also. So right. uh, you probably want to avoid those and say, we need the versatility. We want that fourth guy to play any of these positions. And they're probably not going to take a guy maybe in the second round. I don't think so. But third, fourth, fifth, mid-round, right? That's where I think they're going to invest in the wide receiver position. Uh, if they go any higher, I'll be happy because I, I like drafting receivers and fun weapons. <laughs> right, but right. I just don't think it's going to happen. So those guys in the middle that I have are – uh, Emmanuel Hall, Gary Jennings, Stanley Morgan Jr., mm-hmm. uh, Dylan Mitchell, a lot of guys that are athletic, had production, and all these guys are 6'1 to 6'2". I look at the Bengals' average at receiver, right, over since 2003. This is what they draft at receiver. So look for this if you're looking for profiles. 6'1 and a half, 204 pounds, uh, 32-inch arms, over 9.5-inch arms. You, you, I mean, hands, I'm sorry, 40-time, uh, at least a 4.50 you want to look for. Uh, r- relative athletic score above average near a seven so if you're going to look for a quarterback you want to or wide receiver i'm sorry you want to look for a guy that has above average size and above average speed and athleticism so it really narrows out a few of these guys and knocks a couple of them off of what they typically draft and i'm thinking of like an andy isabella who's a little bit shorter and uh marquise hollywood brown and and greg dorch (laughs) these guys are all mostly slot guys in my opinion and uh and a little bit smaller on the scale so i have other formulas and factors that are knocking knocking half this list off and i'm going to have that on the athletic soon uh but really i do think this is a good receiver class and uh, i'm excited to see them which one they're going to take um two positions we probably haven't got time to do this properly but um two positions i think the bengals will look at uh one they've been for kind of forced to in this off season thank you mark walton but um 
uh, is running back. Um, Gio's contract is up yeah. soon, and uh, and it's always worth getting depth to that position. And they've had, I think it's Rod Smith, hasn't they? The the um, the ex Cowboys running back in for a visit right. this week. Um, but I would imagine they'll be looking at a running back in this in this uh, draft, and I also imagine they'll be looking to bolster the tight end room. Would they? That be fair to say? Yeah, and actually I wouldn't be surprised if tight end happens much sooner than we expect because if you think about it, what is Eifert? He's a complete wild card at this point. If he gives you more than five games, we're all excited. But really, can we count on him? I'd almost take him off the roster and, and in my mind and say, okay, now what does your tight end room look like? Hmm. And it's C.J. Uzama and a bunch of guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> but you yeah. can easily upgrade any of those guys with a mid-round pick and, and have your number two tight end. So Eifert is a bonus in my opinion. And if he's there, great. If not, it's C.J. Uzama right now and nobody else. So you may want a Y tight end. You may want to look for these guys. When I say Y, you have you have the guy that's going to be on the line of scrimmage blocking those defensive ends and linebackers, or you can have a move tight end. And I think that's C.J. Ozama and Tyler Eifert, and those guys are going to flex out, play the slot, be in the, be in motion off the line a little bit. Uh, they got a little bit. They're more athletic. They they are weapons in the passing game. So I look for a Y type blocker, big body guy, somewhere in the mid rounds that could potentially give them minutes or, or time this year and, and that's important i think because it, it definitely could happen we're we're one tyler eifert routine injury uh right, which yeah. away from seeing that guy play so expect a tight end pick at some point it could be a little bit early uh at running back yes they drafted walton too high last year it was a weird pick mm. I, I think everyone came away from it and said it's a head scratch it? it's a real yeah. head scratchy yeah and even though we go back, we watch a tape, we look at it, we go, yeah, we like Mark Walton. This is okay. Well, maybe this guy replaces Geo in two years. But do you need to replace a running back two years out, or do you typically draft those guys and let them play right away? If there's one position, it's running back. Those guys play as rookies, and you're fine. You keep the ball rolling. You, you don't have to stop for them. Uh, so it was a weird pick, and ultimately – did not work out for reasons other than football, even yeah, though he right. wasn't yeah. he wasn't good on the field either. So, <laughs> um, so where do they take him back? Where do where do they take that third guy? And they took Walton because of special teams. That third guy's normally active mm. on game days. He's gonna he's gonna play on special teams. He's gonna be you know someone that you need to rely on for a couple touches if that one of the, your top two guys get hurt and both have recently. Right, so. Yeah. So they need to fortify that spot, and I wouldn't be surprised if again fourth round they dip into running back. And but I think it's probably more likely more likely fifth, sixth round because of this class. And this class is very weird. There may not be a first round running back. There may not be a guy that should go in the top forty picks, and right. that's weird. Uh, it really that is it's, weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And Josh Jacobs from Alabama is the guy I thought of, but he doesn't have the production, didn't have the testing, athleticism. He's a complete projection of just saying, yeah, I like him on tape, so I'm going to take him. But at running back, there's a lot of other guys that can give you a complete case. And I don't know where they go. So I'm not going to get too specific on on players here. I've got a list. It's just, are they going to do it in the fourth? Are they going to do it in the sixth round where they have five picks, a dizzy yeah, yeah, yeah. five picks? You ever do any of these mock uh, drafts and go on those machines? I know, you get to right? the fifth round, you go, holy crap, what am I doing here? I know. It's like, oh, it's me again. Oh, my God. That one, me again. And me again. And again. I don't want to make any more picks. I'm done. <laughs> right. So I think one of those are probably your running back. And, sure. and that, to me, seems like fair value. And just again, briefly, I think um, I'm interested in the secondary because even though we seem well stocked and I actually quite like the look of our secondary on paper at this moment in time, I would argue that that is our, well, on def- I no, actually. It's, no, say it. It's, it's their strength. No, I'm I'm sort of arguing against myself in my head because you can say wide, <laughs> wide receiver is probably our strongest position group. But then again, 
defensive line if it plays up to scratch that should be our you know but i do think the secondary is looking strong you know you've got yeah you've got jackson and kirkpatrick on the outside you've got denard in on in the slot you've got bw webb who had a good season yep. for the giants in the slot you've got decent Two fifth round picks that they exactly. drafted that corner. I still yeah. think uh, Nathan laughs at me whenever I mention Darius Phillips, but I still think he's got something. Um, he does. Uh, you know, so I think it's quite a good-looking uh, secondary room at the moment. And, of course, you know, not even talking about the safeties, I'm talking about right. cornerback. Because um, they potentially drafted a star in Jesse Bates. And absolutely. I think it's all Sean good. Williams gets some, some bad cred, but I think he's a, a valued member of that secondary. Yeah, and you Maybe the at, most consistent guy right now. And you and you look at Fedge as well. You would be quite, yeah, happy to, look quite happy to kind of step in and do a job there. Like, you know, look at that play against Indianapolis, the first exactly. game of last year. Amazing. And they also drafted Brandon Wilson in the sixth round out of Houston true. a couple years yeah. ago. And it was a surprise to me when they went to more three safety looks last year at the end of the year. It was Wilson as the third guy and not mm. Fedge. So yeah, yeah, right. uh, they may like him. And it's a different staff, but they may like him if he mm. shows up and shows the same thing he did to the last staff. So I think they're good there. But that doesn't mean you don't spend a pick at some point. And I also wonder, thinking of uh, Lou Anarumo from the Giants, the way they use uh Collins at safety and they moved him into a linebacker role at times right, do you right. move Sean Williams down and let him play linebacker he would be the most and, obvious candidate right to do that I though. think so yeah, yeah. yeah and maybe you do a little bit with Fedge because Fedge has some strength and, and athleticism to him but the guys that typically do it around the league are exactly what Sean Williams is and so in my opinion yeah you would do that and then you say well then who's the third safety is it Fedgelum is it Wilson or do you yeah. draft a guy yeah. and I think I think they could draft a guy there again, and I think you could always spend a pick at corner. So, well, I think I think my point with the cornerback situation is they look great on paper um, for this year, but after this yeah. coming season, the cupboard is kind of bare. So, yeah. you know, it's, there's decisions to be made about Dre. There's obviously you'd hope that they they'd kind of uh, re-sign William Jackson. Uh, Denard is only signed for a year, and B.W. Webb is only signed for a year. So, I. I, I I, again, it's a sort of sort of super sneaky need. I think this this the cornerback position. I agree. I expect to pick somewhere. I just think it'd probably more be more likely day three, maybe yeah, fourth, right. maybe right. you know, maybe high day three, fourth round. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, okay, let's wrap this up, Joe. You've been fantastic, and I do thank you for your time. Uh, in past years, and uh, you've been great. You, I remember you vividly telling me that. William Jackson might be one of the people that they pick in, in that draft and look they did uh, I remember you telling me about Marvin Jones uh, you loved Marvin Jones coming yeah, out yeah. And, and actually predicted the Bengals to pick him and sure I did enough, yes. sure enough second like round right? exactly like right a... um, so I'm just wondering any sleepers down in the I don't know third fourth rounds or even second actually uh, that you are absolutely head over heels in love with Mm, in love with sleepers you know what it's kind of funny because uh a lot of times i won't look at everyone else's rankings and i'll do mine and i i get my sleepers because i say well, where do you have cody barton this linebacker out of utah and they're like oh i'm in the fifth round and i said oh it kind of grades out as like a second third rounder for me so right, right. you know it ends up being oh i guess i like him a little bit more than you guys and i didn't realize that at first and i guess that's someone that i should name cody barton and someone they've had contact with and that's when i first looked at him and Honestly, he looks like Blake Cashman and those guys uh, that are, and he's going to go much later, in, or maybe. And I saw Gil Brand of NFL.com had him ranked 78th. So he was, the, he he actually is where I would 
probably put Cody Barton in. If the Bengals don't draft a linebacker at 11, maybe he's a the guy they take in the third round, and I would be completely happy with that. And He's more of in the mold of Nick Vigil, but at the same time, I'd like to roll that dice again on a guy who's athletic and made a lot of plays in college. Uh, I think at receiver, I've got some favorites, and if they go into the fourth, fifth round, for me, Gary Jennings out of West Virginia would be a perfect fit for them because he played outside, he played the slot, he did a lot of things they, they're going to ask their guys to do. He blocked really well. He caught, I want to say, uh, 13 touchdowns one year and then comes back the next year and catches 100 passes out of the slot. Wow. Yeah, and he's probably projected to go in the fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth round at times. So that's like a day three guy that I would love them to take, and I, I think there is some precedent there. I think some of the guys they met with is, are interesting, and like a Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno at receiver, 6'1", 201. Uh, I wish he tested a little bit better in terms of, of athleticism. When you watch him on tape, he's a big body guy that will, and a 6'1", 201, not huge, but he, he's comfortable in contact. He's comfortable going up for those 50-50 balls. Uh, he is used a lot like Marvin Jones was used. He just didn't right. test like it. So I think he's going to end up going day three, sixth, or seventh round. But they brought mm-hmm. him in, and they seem to have interest with a visit on a guy that's going pretty late. Uh, don't be surprised with that, and this is a receiver again, and don't be surprised if, if, if that's the pick late. The other guy that I think uh, raised a flag in my head when they met with him is Trenton Irwin, wide receiver out of Stanford, slot guy also. Uh, incredible hands, doesn't drop a ball at all. I think he's number one in, in drop percentage, only dropped 4.4% of his passes uh, in terms of the slot guys. is really, really high up there. So uh, there are a lot of interesting players. The edge guys, people they've had contact with, a lot of guys that could potentially fall. It's funny because Montez Sweat, we mentioned him as maybe a pick at 11, but you keep hearing rumblings that he mm. may fall due to a heart condition. That's and right. he, yeah. he he had some drug issues early in his college career and had to, had to go down to junior college and then eventually went to Mississippi State. And he's been clean since. But some teams have taken him off the board for the heart and been concerned with the other issues. And I had a source tell me that maybe he sees a Carlos Dunlap type fall and he's there at 42. So... Watch out for that if he starts falling. The other guy, defensive end, that they met with that is definitely falling is Ja'Kai Polite out of Florida. And right. he may be there in the third round. He's had the worst draft process out of everyone. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's Paul Dawson, Vontaze Perfect. They've made this pick before where this guy is yeah. like completely – apparently he said, you know, uh, screw all this stuff. I just want to play football and hit the quarterback. Well – Sounds great to me, uh, but you know you kind of you want the guy to put the effort in in the testing. But yeah. if he's there in the third round and they keep looking at these edge guys, don't be surprised if they pull the trigger on Jakai Polite. Mm. Well, as ever, Joe. Uh, as I say, this year um, it's ultra intriguing and fascinating. I think because they really could go in different ways. And uh, as ever, um, there's loads and loads of players out there, and you'd hope that the Bengals. Because I'm actually pretty positive about the Bengals, believe it or not, at the moment. I've, I've liked what Zach Taylor's got to say. I like the new energy yeah. around the place. Obviously, that's going to be destroyed in a, in a heartbeat, no doubt, <laughs> the Bengals. But, um, but Week I, one in Seattle, right? Oh, my goodness, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually I fancy going to that, but, um, you know, it's it's... What a tough start, you know. But um, I, I can't wait for the season. I certainly can't wait for the draft. And, and thank you again for all the work that you do on Twitter throughout the year. And congratulations on the success of 
the Locked On Bengals podcast. Uh, you and Jake make a great team, and I know a lot of Thank our you. listeners listen to to you guys every day religiously. So, um, well, I listen to you guys. Well, I, there I, you go. I was just listening recently when you had Sam Anger on, and who did? I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, Sam has really uh, come into his own. Really, he loves putting like the bits of, of tape on on Twitter, yes. and he's getting. Reminds uh, me of myself a little bit, you know. Oh, don't tell him that. His head will. He be, loves it. I told him. He actually sent me the clip of you guys saying, he's like a UK Joe Goodberry. And I was like, yes. Perfect. <laughs> but no, it's great, isn't it? I mean, it shows you that uh, what you do influences people over here, or at least encourages them to do, do you know, have a, have a. I, I never used to be into the draft process as much. That's why I relied on guys like you uh, for information and opinion. But I, what I like about the draft process is that you do get to see, and certainly with the mock, the advent of the and the rise of these kind of mock draft, mock draft simulators, you can kind of like really understand where a player might go. You might understand yeah. his strengths and weaknesses, and then you kind of say, "Oh, look, yeah, there's Maurice Hurst uh, playing for the Raiders. Right. I liked him right. last year." And so I think it gives you a much better idea of the players and the skills and where they're going to go and. And, all the rest and then of the it. thought process and decision making, right, right, of the teams. Yeah, absolutely, these simulators yeah. are fun for that. Hey, yeah, absolutely. For me, the, it's not so much the, you know, the it's the process that's just as fun to me. It's the Rorschach test of everyone looking at the same prospect and going, "Yeah, I don't like him. He can't do this." Yeah. The other guy saying, "I love him. Look at this." And yeah, right. So that's a blast to me. I, that's what makes it so much fun, and everyone can come away from a different summary reading the same book, and that's where, that's what these that's what these players are, and then the decision-making thought process, trying to build this roster, that's always the most fun for me. Absolutely. Uh, listen, Joe, um, well, li- listeners, tune into Joe's Twitter feed, at Joe Goodbury. Um, subscribe to The Atlantic, because I'm sure there's loads of content coming from Joe this week, and also, obviously, there's the daily Locked On Bengals podcast, with Joe and Jake, which is absolutely worth a listen. Um, so, Joe, I mean, we've been going for ages here, yeah. so I can't, I can't thank you enough for spending a bit of extra time with me. Well, it's only once a year, isn't it? So it's not too bad. Every year we we say we're going to do forty minutes. Absolutely. And then every right. year it's it's, it's, it's eighty like minutes. About four hours later, yeah. Um, okay. uh, but Joe, listen, enjoy your Easter weekend and enjoy the draft. You too. All right, I'll speak to thank you soon. Thank you. Cheers. So there we go. I promised a deep dive, and goodness me, that was about as deep a dive as you can possibly get. Uh, we probably could have gone a bit deeper, really. And I know people laugh at me when I say this, and I'll probably get a T-shirt made up with this logo on, but I really could have talked to Joe uh, all day. And uh, to be honest, I almost did. So if you're still listening, thank you for hanging around, um, and hopefully that gave you a really nice idea of where the Bengals might go. There's some serious options open, and of course we'll know, um, well, in the UK we'll know first thing on Friday who they've gone for at number 11. They might have even traded down, who knows? Um, And then of course day two will be the Friday, and then day three will be, not only day three in the draft, but we also have uh, our draft weekend meetup next Saturday from six o'clock on uh, that's the 27th of april and that's at the red deer pub in sheffield so um, tell your friends if you're in the north of england it's just such a great opportunity to be in a room full of bengals fans and how often does that happen we'll have the draft on the big screen we're going to be recording uh, a live uh, version of uh, of the podcast giving our um our um, reaction to uh, days one and two 
Uh, we'll have the, the, the draft day three's picks coming in as we're recording the podcast. Uh, and the Red Deer is a fantastic pub. So it's upstairs at the Red Deer. Um, so do come and join us if you're around, even if you want to pop in and say hello for an hour and have a pint, then please do that. Um, okay, I should wrap up now because I can smell food and the family's coming around in a minute. So I'm, I'm recording this on the Saturday, so and no doubt I'll be releasing this on the Sunday when I get back to London. Nathan's still in Tokyo. Uh, he'll be he'll be around in about uh, two or three weeks' time, so we'll pick up the slap. But yes, we have. Uh, a live uh, episode or recorded as live episode coming at you next week we have the draft meetup it's all very exciting we know that the Bengals are playing at Wembley um, well all is good in Bengals land at the moment so uh, you can get in touch with us and do do get in touch with us uh, we do enjoy your correspondence on Twitter at whoday underscore UK and Bengals UK uh, on Facebook so it only remains for me to say the final time before the 2019 draft we'll find out who the Bengals go for no more talking, the time for talking is over, it's time for some picking um, we'll find out on Thursday, but yes it's a who day from me and actually a who day from no one else I'm on my own, aren't I, yeah, anyway it's a who day, we'll speak to you next week and it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.